Good morning again. I invite you to open up your Bibles, the Word of the Lord, to the book of Proverbs. If you're new with us and you're, or if you are new to church and you don't know where the book of Proverbs is and you have a Bible, you can just split it right down the middle. You'll probably be in Psalms or Proverbs. If you end up in Psalms, just go to your right until you hit Proverbs, and we're in Proverbs chapter 2. Now hopefully, we didn't come out and say this, but maybe we should have, um, there has, you've seen a common theme this morning. Um, as we've heard from Robin, as we, uh, we saw a video on choices, as we had our parent-child commitment, um, we've been highlighting really um, life in children, in family. And you might not know this, but this morning is Sanctity of Life Sunday. Um, it is a, a Sunday in where evangelicals um, all over this nation um, are remembering um, and cherishing the life um, that is precious in God's sight. And that life includes the life that is in the womb. But not only life in the womb, but life outside of the womb as well. So this is why we, we have our, our parent-child uh, commitments on these Sundays, because we want to be a church that builds a culture of life, and life in our little ones, life in our parents, and life in all generations. We cherish life from beginning to the end. We want to be a church we're raising up our children in the discipline of the Lord. We want to be a church committing ourselves to passing on life to the next generation. We want to be a church that does this work in our children's ministry, that does this work in our students' ministry, but even, yes, as us as adults, that we are valuing life in all the ministries that affect us, even when we leave those childhood years behind. The reason we're life people, brothers and sisters, is because our Savior is a life giver. He's a life giver. And so because He has given us life, we are the ones who are calling out that are infiltrating our neighborhood. We are infiltrating our community, and we are calling people, come and find life. Come. You heard that in, in Robin's testimony. People coming in, and they have, they have gone astray. They are in a bind. And the world says, hey, we will solve the problem for you. Go downtown to Louisville, and we will we'll give you a choice in your life. A.K.A., we'll murder this baby. We'll take it out of your womb, and your problems go away. And we'll label it with all kinds of lies that will make you feel better. But have you ever spoken to a woman who has had an abortion? They live with a guilt with inside them that they will never satisfy. That they will never assuage. And this is where ministries like Choices, churches who are welcoming broken people into their life and say there is a way to assuage the guilt. It's Jesus Christ. And we all have heavy hearts, broken hearts. We have wounds. Maybe you can physically see them, but certainly we have wounds in the heart. So brothers and sisters, I want to infect a passion within us. 
a passion to spread life to those around us. I want us to have a passion that when we see brokenness in our world, when we see brokenness in our neighborhood, when you see it in your neighbor's life, when you see the cop cars come and they're knocking on your neighbor's door, and you don't know what's going on, but you know there's trouble inside, you're not moved to just go back to bed. You're moved to pray. Lord, give me opportunity to give them life. Move us, Lord. Awaken us to be burdened for people, to have a care for them. James says true and unadulterated religion is caring for widows and orphans, the most vulnerable. But the one who does not truly have faith is the one who says, well, be warm and well fed, and then does nothing. May we never be a church like that. May we be a church that is broken and says, we're going to use our advantages, our resources, our time, our power, and we're going to serve, and we are going to be a, a, a lifeboat, laying and swinging out those life preservers and saying, take it, take it, take it, and come here. And we will love you in all the mess, because guess what? We're a big pile of mess, right? Right? We are. I heard that, child. <laughs> All that wasn't even in my notes. That's just me building up this morning, okay? I want us to have a passion because we have been given life. And this is the offer that Proverbs gives to the world. Life. Proverbs brings life to people. As my daughter and I were talking last night, actually I was talking with all my kids, and I was telling them that Proverbs is about treasure, a treasure that is so valuable that you would, would, when you understand what it is, you'd be willing to give your whole life to obtain it. And Proverbs guides us and, and gives us wisdom that we may find this treasure, which is Jesus Christ, and he gives us life. And, and my daughter Grace says, Daddy, so Proverbs is like a treasure map. And I said, yes, that's exactly right. Proverbs is like a treasure map. And the treasure it leads us to is life. It's life. And that's what wisdom is. This, this book promises to give us wisdom, the skill to find life as God designed it. The skill to live life as God designed it, that you may live a flourishing, blessed life, that you may find eternal life. And so this morning, I want to lay before us, I want to challenge us to treasure life, to treasure wisdom, to treasure Christ, and to seek Him like we would if we knew that there were hidden treasure in our backyard and we would go and dig it up. I want us to keep that in our minds as we read Proverbs chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible, these words will be on the screen Proverbs chapter 2, and, and, and listen to the urgency of Solomon's words. My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, 
making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding. Yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and you search for it as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom from His mouth comes knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He's a shield for those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice and watching over the way of His saints. Then you will understand righteousness and justice and equity, every good path. For wisdom will come into your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will watch over you. Understanding will guard you. Delivering you. Delivering you from the way of evil. From men of perverted speech who forsake the paths of uprightness. To walk in the ways of darkness who rejoice in doing evil and delight in the perverseness of evil. Men whose paths are crooked and who are devious in their ways. So you will be delivered from the forbidden woman. From the adulteress with her smooth words who forsakes the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God. For her house sinks down to death, and her paths to the departed, and none who go to her come back, nor do they regain the paths of life. So you will walk in the way of the good and keep to the paths of the righteous, for the upright will inhabit the land, and those with integrity will remain in it. But the wicked will be cut off from the land, and the treacherous will be rooted out of it. This morning, I want to call us to pursue wisdom as Daddy Solomon writes to his sons. As he writes to us, even us who are no longer children, but yes, we are striving to be mature in the faith. This proverb speaks to us. It speaks to us, guiding us to find life, to seek it like a hidden treasure. And so the question for us as we begin is, is where do we start this pursuit? If it's like a treasure map, where do we begin? Well, we begin here by pursuing the treasures of wisdom by internalizing God's Word. The beginning point of this treasure map starts by internalizing the Word. That's point number one. It starts by internalizing the Word. Look in verses 1 through 4. Look at these calls of admonition, these calls to activity, to work, to do. Verse 1, Solomon says, receive my words. Treasure up my commandments. What does that look like? Well, he tells us in verse 2, he says, let your ear, let it be attentive. Brothers and sisters, this is what I pray for us every Sunday. Oh, may our ears be attentive. Because I know some of you are tired. Some of you stayed up late by choice. Because you watch your shows on Sunday or Saturday night. And bleeds into Sunday morning. You're not prepared for Sunday. Others of you, not by choice. You have little children. Or you have someone in your house you're taking care of. And they keep you up. And so I'm gracious. And so our t at times, though, our ears, they aren't attentive. I pray that we are active listeners. That we see this as treasure coming off the pages to us this morning. Not only does he say this. He says, incline your heart 
for understanding. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, my words that I'm giving to you are life. And I don't want them just to go through one ear and out the other. I want them to go in and take root inside of you. I want you to internalize them. I want you to savor them. I want you to treasure them up. Have you ever been walking in a parking lot and you found like a, maybe a dollar bill or a $10 bill or a $20 bill? No? Mandy's like, no, I haven't had that look. <laughs> Especially as you're a child, it doesn't matter if it's a penny. You see that? Do you just walk by and say, oh, there's a penny. Oh, there's a $20 bill. And you just walk on by. I received that. No, you pick it up, right? You pick it up and you say, yeah, that's mine. Finders keepers. <laughs> right? That's the picture. You don't just listen and you say, yeah, that's great. I receive it, brother. And then you never think about it again. No, it's finders keepers. I'm taking this thing in. I'm cherishing it. I'm letting hold on to it because it's my life. It's my life. Solomon understood that his words were life to his kids because as the king, get this, Solomon was to write his own copy of the scriptures out. Deuteronomy chapter 17, you don't need to turn there. Verses 18 and 19 gives strict command to the kings of Israel. That when they sit on the throne, that he shall write for himself in a book the copy of this law. This copy was to be approved by a Levitical priest, make sure it was accurate, make sure it was true. But he was to write the entire thing out. Why? So it shall be with him. And he shall read it all the days of his life. That he may learn to fear the Lord his God by keeping all the words of this law and doing them. The king was to embody the word of God for the people of Israel. And Solomon, not just as king, but as daddy, internalizes the word and he passes it back to his children. And he says, put it in your heart. Treasure it up inside you. Jesus borrows from Proverbs and he, he speaks of this in a parable. You, you're probably familiar with it. Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like. It's like treasure hidden in a field. Which a man found and covered up. Finders keepers. Then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has that he can buy that field. Brothers and sisters, do you see the treasure of the kingdom? This is the treasure map. That leads you to the treasure that I am willing, if need be, to give up all that I have to obtain its riches. This is the picture. And so treasuring the Word looks like putting it inside us. It's internalizing it. It's, inter it's inclining our eyes and our ears and our hearts to the Word of God. Let me get very practical with you. You know what this means, right? means memorizing the Word of God. Do you memorize it? Do you chew on it? Do you meditate on it? We live in a technological age, don't we? I'm sitting here preaching from an iPad, right? I've got an iPhone in my pocket. 
I used to have a Fitbit, but they're junk and they break all the time. But I had one, so I can't be fit anymore because I don't know what my steps are. <laughs> studies have shown that Google is actually making us dumber. Have you seen those studies? You know why it's making us dumber? Because we depend on Google to be our spell checker, our, 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 our date finder, our people finder. We no longer need to memorize and know life anymore because we've got it in our pocket. And if we don't know something, we call up Siri who checks into Google and goes out into the world and brings the data back to us. And so in essence, what, what studies are beginning to show is that people are not as smart as they used to be. It's not that they don't have the capacities. Their brain's not being used the way it was intended. Your brain's supposed to be the memory bank. Well, now we've taught our brain, go check the reference. Which means, even though we tried to make it as convenient as possible, it comes in your pocket. Some of you are like, I've been saying this for years, Pastor. Get rid of those smartphones. You're like, preach it, brother. As close as we can get it, it's not inside us. And so it doesn't affect us the same way. I would offer that the same thing has happened to us in our Bibles. And I'm not railing against having your Bible on your iPad or your iPhone. But what has happened is that the Bible is now outside of us. You might, this might be fascinating to you. I don't have a ton of time to go through it. But up until the printing press... Churches only would have one Bible. Even after the printing press, until it really got going, it was rare that the people had their own copies. And so it was imperative when people came to the church that the public reading of Scripture would occur. And you know what Sunday school was? It was catechizing. It was memorizing doctrine. It was putting Scripture into your mind because there was no other way for the people to have access to the Word of God unless they internalized it. If you wanted to be a deacon, deacons, listen to this. If you wanted to be a deacon up all the way through the Middle Ages and probably even some point in the Reformation, you had to have a large portion of the Psalms memorized and at least one gospel. Now I can assure you none of your deacons can do that, but I also assure you neither can your pastors. But oh, how times have changed. And when the blessings of technology came, we stopped cherishing memorizing. We stopped cherishing internalizing it. And so now, I, I would say we're even further. I, I'll come in and I'll, I'll counsel a couple, and I'll, I'll, I'll lay a Bible before them, and I'll, I'll say, open up to this passage, and, and inevitably I say, I, I don't know where that is. I have to use my, my phone now. Because they don't know the locations anymore. It's all in here. Just little things that we don't even notice because we're not internalizing the world like, word like we used to. We're keeping it outside of us. And so I'm not saying get rid of those things. I'm saying be aware of it. Be aware of it and let you know that we need to work harder to internalize it. Our children do it. And Awana, you heard it from Joshua. They are memorizing scripture every week. Our students are doing it. 
I heard this semester they're going to work on memorizing Psalm 51. Where's Joshua? Is that right? Psalm 51. They're going to memorize a psalm. Now they're doing it through song, and there's tools to do it. Do you know Proverbs is written in a way to help people memorize short, pithy statements? But what are we doing, adults? We don't need it anymore, do we? I wonder what would happen if I asked you all to start us. When I say you all, I mean us. Hey, we're going to start memorizing. I bet I would get some phone calls. Pastor, why are you making me do it? My mind doesn't work this way. I know. We're, it hasn't been used. We're going to start using it now. I don't know, but that's something now is on my heart, just so you know. So don't be surprised if, I, I, if we start suggesting some ways, giving some more tools, resources. Maybe in, it's in our discipleship classes, uh, something. But adults, we've got to be memorizing. We've got to be giving ourselves to internalizing the Word because it is the Word that is the starting point for life. And I want you to see what happens when we internalize the Word. That was my biggest point. The rest of this all feeds, or that feeds into this. Second point is when we pursue the treasures of wisdom, it starts by internalizing the Word, but then it results in a relationship with the Lord. So that's point number two. It results in a relationship with the Lord. Look in verse 5. Then, then, which presumes an if, right? If you have received my words, if you have treasured them, if you have called out, if you have sought it, then, then and only then, will you understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. What is the fear of the Lord? It's the reverential awe of knowing God. It's knowing Christ. It's knowing Him intimately. It's having a relationship with Him. And so this is true when you, you came to Christ. You had to hear the Word, didn't you? The Gospel had to be preached to you. It had to be planted inside of you. And then you had a relationship. Well, what we learn in Proverbs is it doesn't end there. That's how you continue the relationship. You continue to internalize the Word and you grow deeper and more intimately with your Savior. That is the means by which we come to know the Lord. And this is what Romans 10, 17 says, right? Faith comes from hearing, and hearing by what? The Word of Christ. And so the Word does a work in us. And that's why it's so important to internalize it, because when you make it outside of you, even if it's next to your heart in your pocket, it's not in you. And therefore, it's not churning up a relationship. I go down to the jail. Which, by the way, very encouraged. We had like 25 people show up interested in jail ministry. And on the last Sunday of this month, we're doing a chapel service in the jail, just so you know. When you go to the jail, if you have a loved one there, and I see it every time I'm in the lobby, they come in, they schedule their appointment, and they sit at a computer screen, and they Skype with their loved ones. How many of you would say, hey, that would do? Hey, that's convenient. I don't have to actually take time to see my loved ones. I can just Skype in with them. I can teleport through this screen. Would that be, would that be appealing to you? Absolutely not. You want to 
Smell your loved ones if they're clean. You want to, you want to hug them. You want to show affection to them. You want to talk with them. You want to see them. The same way, brothers and sisters, the means by which we come to know the Lord and, and get intimate with Him is through the Word and implanting it in our hearts. If you don't want to do that, you're going to go through a television screen. You're going to have it mediated some other way and you will lose. You won't have the intimate walk. And that's exactly what he is saying. Then you will understand. This is what the psalmist says. I have stored up your word in my heart. Why? That I may not sin against you. I was really convicted. I, I, was, at, I was thinking about this I've, since November. I was at a conference and I was learning about the practices of the early church and how they memorized scripture. And this verse, Psalm 119.11, came to my heart. And I was thinking, you know what? I don't store the word in my heart. I store it somewhere I can find it. I don't chew on the word. I don't feast on the word. I just taste the word. I'm not feasting on it. In the scriptures you find use strong language about putting it inside us, and that is the means by which we know the Lord. I want you to look at what the Lord does then. For the Lord's the one who gives wisdom. So if you come to him through his word, that's how you're going to get wisdom. And you're going to know him, and then he gives you this, verse 6. And what does he do, verse 7? He stores it up for you. You're the storehouse. You're the barn. You're the shed. And he is stuffing his word, his wisdom in you. That's the picture. And the picture also is, is this is a process. This is storing it up for when you need it. When you're saving for a famine, you don't say, well, that's all I need for today. I'll be good. No, if you are storing up treasure to, to last, to live, no, you're, you're gathering all the potential resources that you will ever need, and that is the Word of God. And so sometimes, maybe in a sermon or a Sunday school lesson, or you're reading your Bible study, you might say, I don't see how that applies to my life at all. Well, store it up, because one day it will. Don't be a fool and say, I'll leave that $20 uh, bill in the parking lot. No, you take it, you store it. And that's the means by which God gives you wisdom. And you know the Lord, you walk with Him, you talk with Him. He's with you. Those of you who memorize Scripture, you know exactly what this is like. Because as you deal in and out of your day, you've you got Scripture just running all through you you got it outside of you it's not running through you you're not thinking the world it's not it's not like glasses that go on and it's just the lens by which you now see the whole world it's point number three you start with internalizing world the word it results in you having a relationship with the lord but point number three it produces a transformation of character you want to transform life you put the word in you look in verse Nine, another then. If you've done this, then you'll understand righteousness and justice and equity and every good path. You're now going to understand. The first then in verse 5 is you're going to understand the fear of the Lord, which means you're going to know Him. 
And because you know him, verse 9, now you're going to know his character, and it's going to start working in you. And you're going to love righteousness and justice and equity, and you're going to know every good path. The imagery here is really fascinating. It's the image of a wheel, a wagon wheel. And as it would go down the path, the wagon wheel over and over and again cuts out a track, cuts out grooves. And those grooves set you on a path. This is the pattern of one's life. You start storing up, you start putting the word, and it starts transforming you, and you continue to do it all the days of your life, and you're going to dig those tracks really deep. Right now in my neighborhood, they have our main road under construction. If you live out Salem Noble, your life is very irritating right now, right? My whole section over here is giving me an amen. So we have to go down these other roads that are very dangerous, and someone actually died this week because of it, because they're not wide enough. And what has happened is that there are new tracks coming to the side of the road. They're deep. They're like a foot deep. And if you get on one of those tracks, it yanks you off the road. And that's exactly what happened, and someone died. This is the picture. You want good tracks that keep you going straight. But the world is going to come and tell you lies, and they're going to, and if you continue to feed yourself and internalize that, you begin to input those things, you're building new tracks. And they're not straight, they're not smooth, no, they're crooked, and they're bumpy, and they lead you to death. That's what Proverbs is saying. And so look, verse 10. When you have these goods paths, what happens? Wisdom will come into your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. All your desires begin to change. You don't think like the world. You now think like God thinks. You start loving what God loves. You start seeing what he thinks is beautiful as beautiful. You start saying, no, there is hope. And when you look at people, you see them as made in the image of God and you don't think them as white trash or, or a loser or, or, or a thug. And you just blanket them. No, you're broken for them. And you say, the Lord, you worked in my heart. I was a loser. I look back at my life. I was telling my community group this, or some people. I read Proverbs, and I'm like, man, I was the biggest idiot growing up. I was on the path to destruction. I was. And I can't tell the stories. But I was on the path to destruction but the Lord transformed me and he transformed you and when we hear these testimonies of people coming up and the waters of baptisms are stirred we are all these people who had these other tracks built but yet the Lord came in and, and filled them and set us on the straight chapter 3 verse 6 you all know this verse chapter 3 Verse 5 and 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will what? Yeah, the kids know it because they're memorizing it. That's right, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. He will make your paths straight. What happens when your desires are changed? Verses 12 and following. He delivers you. He delivers you. He delivers you from the paths of death. This is the fourth point. 
Starting point is internalizing the word. Results in a relationship with the Lord. Third, it produces a transformation of character. And fourth, it delivers you from the path of death. How does it deliver you from the path of death? Because your paths are straight, you've got the guardrails, so that when there's all these other paths, there is not even a a thought in your mind to go off them. I've already mentioned the, um, the, the, the road situation in my neighborhood. It took me like four weeks to stop turning right out of my neighborhood, which is where the dead end, there's literally a hole. Why was that? because I had this pattern in my life. Every day, everywhere I went, when I got out of the neighborhood, that I would look both ways and I would turn right. And you know what I would do? Oh, I forgot. And I would have to turn. It took weeks to set a new pattern. That's what happens when you are internalizing the word. You're walking with Jesus. He's changing your heart. He's setting new patterns. It takes a lot to get you off track. But if you're not doing that, you're easily swayed. You're easily pulled any which direction. You're like the one who's tossed to and fro by the waves of, of every idea of the world. Because you don't have the tracks of the good path. But when this happens, he delivers you from the way of evil. See this way? Now there's hope here. We all stumble. We all get off track every now and then, right? But here the picture is someone who is pursuing the way of evil and sets these new tracks. Look at them, verse 12. When you have the path of good, of wisdom, of Christ, he'll deliver you from the way of evil, from men of perverted speech who forsake the paths of uprightness, who rejoice in doing evil and delight in the perverseness of evil. Men whose paths are what? They're crooked. Do you see the difference? Their paths are crooked. The Lord's paths are straight. Their speech is perverted, but the Lord's mouth gives forth knowledge and understanding. Their desire and delight is evil, but now God's knowledge is pleasant to our soul. See, when wisdom has transformed your life, it transforms your heart, your desires change. They change for what is good, what is beautiful, what is right. And when you come across the evil way, you say, I want none of that. And he gives two quick examples. Examples that are going to be unpacked as we continue in our journey of Proverbs. But here's the two tracks that derail most individuals. In verses 12 through 19. Easy money and easy sex. That's what he's talking about here. Two tracks that get most people off Two ways that get most people off track. Easy money and easy sex. When he's talking about these of, of evil way who rejoice in doing evil, he's, he's talking about what we saw last Sunday. My son, chapter 1, verse 10, do not, let, do not be enticed. Do not consent when sinners entice you. And when they say, we shall find all precious goods and we shall fill our houses with plunder. Let's take advantage of people for our own gain. He says, you treasure up wisdom in your heart, and you'll be delivered from that path. And where does that path lead you? It leads you into evil. It leads you into the crooked way. It leads you into devious ways. It leads you to death. He warns here of, the, of easy sex. 
Verse 16, so you will be delivered from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress with her smooth words. Notice they all have perverted words. They all have schemes. Now, if you're a woman, this is the adulterer man, okay, who woos you and says, come with me. I'll take care of you, baby. That's what this is. But wisdom says, you now know that this person forsakes the companion of their youth. You haven't been faithful to anybody. I can see right through it. You see that person not dressed modestly. It doesn't entice because you know what that represents. You hear their speech and the things that they value and they love. And, it, and it's not that you are now judgmental. You're just like, I want none of that. Because you now love the things of the Lord. And you see it for what it really is. You hear things on TV, uh, the TV shows, we watch the movies, we pump in, the music we listen to. I know that sounds like a fundy preacher, but let me just tell you, I'm preaching to the heart. I'm not going to give you a list of what you can and cannot listen to, but I bet if you start internalizing the world word, you'll start making your own little list. <laughs> There's so many songs that I loved. And now I'm singing, I'm like, I can't sing that. That is just awful. That is glorifying what is the ways of perversity. You'll now see it for what it is, and you say, verse 18, for her house, that house, the people who dwell there, the people who characterize their life there, they sink to death. And you begin to think, oh, I can't do that. No matter what my emotions are telling me, I know that is the path of destruction and death. And you begin thinking, if I pursue this adulterous relationship, Oh, just you, you now have wisdom to just, you can play that line of events right out. Destruction to my family and theirs. Destruction to my children and theirs. Destruction to my friends and theirs. And if you're a believer, oh, what damage that's going to do to my church. Oh, what, what reproach that will bring to my Savior. And you go play that thing out and you say, Lord, I know what your word says. It doesn't matter how much they make me feel good when I'm in their presence. I want to flee that. Because it will bring down everybody. It will destroy everything. And I, Lord, if I continue down that path, I live according to those ways, I will perish. That's how it guards you and delivers you and gives you wisdom. This is what it means to be pro-life, by the way. We value life everywhere. The womb, out of the womb, until the day we die. And we learn how to die well. I don't think we know how to die well. The world tells us, don't ever die. Brothers and sisters, die is our gateway. It's into the land that we see, verse 20. And this is our last point. This treasure map leads us to the path of righteousness, where righteousness dwells, where the curse is no more, where death is conquered. What will happen if you internalize the word, that starting point? You will walk in the way of the good and keep to the paths of the righteous, for the upright will inhabit the land. Land is a big theme in Scripture I don't have time to unpack. But all you need to know is it's the new heavens and new earth in the ultimate scheme of things. It's new heavens, new earth where Christ comes. 
the new Jerusalem comes down and it fills the earth and the city gates remain open forever because there is no more threat. This is your treasure map. And the only way to read it is if you internalize it. The only way it will guide you is if you put it in you. But be prepared. It will change everything about you. But in doing so, you will find life. And you'll have it abundantly. Let's pray. And we'll sing one closing song. Lord, may our ears be attentive. May we treasure up your words. May our hearts be inclined. Oh, may we seek your word like silver. May we search for it like hidden treasure. May we open it up and dig, 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 looking for those treasures. Because, Lord, when we do, we find you. You're our treasure. You're the invaluable treasure that we would give up the world to obtain, if need be. And yet we know that we're not really giving up anything. Because in Christ... We are heirs of this world. We'll be inhabitants of the land where you dwell, where blessing reigns, where the tree of life uh, sprouts, and it will give healing to all the nations. Oh, Lord, give us that eternal perspective, I pray. And Lord, I pray that as you have us here, as this, as this beacon of light, as this lighthouse, as this hospital for sinners, Oh, that we are crying out to the world, come, come, come. Your paths may be straight. And you may find life. Lord, may we trust you. As you are the one who for the joy set before us endured the cross. And now you have been exalted to the right hand and you are standing at the other side of the finish line saying, come, my children, come. May we come to you. And it is in your name we pray. Amen. Let us stand and let us worship this one who gives us life.